The material in this podcast is for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for professional medical advice. You should not rely on this information to make any medical-related decisions. Nothing in this podcast constitutes a doctor-patient relationship, and nothing should be taken as specific medical advice for any given person. I hope you enjoy Marked Medicine. Hey, Mark. I have a question. Okay. How many times do you think I've asked you that question? Do numbers go that high? I doubt it. And from that concept, the idea of marked medicine was born with Dr. Mark Brulte. And with Amanda Brulte, my favorite nurse practitioner. And you're now listening to Marked Medicine. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Marked Medicine, the podcast. I'm Dr. Mark Brulte, and I'm joined today by my co-host and wife, Miss Amanda Brulte, my favorite nurse practitioner, and we have a very special guest today, an entrepreneur, a former teacher, a podcaster herself, and most importantly, mother of five. Her success journey is quite the tale, and we're excited to hear it. It started in a very dark place with postpartum depression. And we have a lot to learn from her, and we're, we're extremely excited you're here today. So welcome, Ms. Casey Morris. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. This is exciting. This is my first in-person interview. Honestly, Casey, I couldn't be more excited if Taylor Swift was in the house. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I have just been over the moon excited. Well, I'm going to take that with me forever and just tell everyone. That's the best compliment ever. Thank you. <laughs> well, I'd like to just basically hear your story. I think that's what we need to hear is your story. It will help other people and go from there and and try to teach some people things about your story. Sure. You want to, you want me to start when I first started teaching, just kind of go from there? Absolutely. Okay. Um, so I graduated during the recession of 2008, 2009, and um, I couldn't get a job teaching. But when I was in college, I started college my junior year, nine months pregnant and my senior year, nine months pregnant. Uh, not on purpose. So my boys are 12 months and 11 days apart. And um, man, those were hard times. We were on government assistance. I barely had enough money to get to school in Tifton. I finally found some girls I could carpool with. So that was really nice. And um, my boys were, it was, it was hard, I guess, to say the least. I didn't realize until they were about three and four that I did have postpartum depression. So looking back on it now, I wish, and if I could get give anybody advice that's listening, is that I wish I would have asked for help a lot sooner because my children deserve the mom that they got after I got help um, besides the mom that they had. And so, yeah, I graduated from school, couldn't get a teaching job because it was during the recession. And um, I had an early childhood ele- elementary degree. And so I finally got a call from Miss Sherry Berry at the Coffee Middle School, and she offered me a job to be a sixth grade English and language arts teacher. And I was over the moon excited about it because we were struggling financially, but, and I was struggling through postpartum depression. Um, but it really wasn't what I thought it was going to be. You know, I get the dream job, I got the kids, I have the husband. And I was very, very unhappy. I said, I often say that my life felt like this carousel of black and white, and it was just rinse and repeat every single day. And that's the thing with depression, right? Is that you feel like you're in this spiral or this drain that you just can't get out of. And so here I am, I have everything I had ever dreamed of, and it just wasn't what I thought it was supposed to be. So fast forward a few years and, um, I, in 2013, so my kids are four and five at that time. And I finally, one day in October of 2013, um, asked for help. I went and saw the doctor and said, look, something's not right. And, um, he prescribed me medication. And that was one of the best days of my life. Looking back on it about that same time, it's crazy how these worlds collided. I started selling my lesson plans online. I had been purchasing lesson plans online from a lot of teachers um, around the world. And they kind of gave me the know-how of um, 
hey, you buy this lesson plan, I'll help you. And they gave the gift of education to those 118 students I taught for a couple of years because I, I wasn't physically able to do that myself. And so in 2013, I started selling my lesson plans online and my life has never been the same since. It changed completely. I made $50 that first month. I started taking medication for my depression and it was just like this beautiful world um, that started to come to life. Not easily, but day after day, I got to throw away a little piece of depression into the trash can. And um, since then, my life has looked radically different. And now I own a multi-million dollar company. I'm no longer a teacher, and um, but I still get to teach. So I'm sure we'll talk about all that too. And talking about postpartum depression, it's amazing how common it is. About 14%, one out of seven women have postpartum depression. It's, uh, it's under-recognized, as you stated, in your, in your own self for three years, under-recognized or not recognized. I'm, I mean, I'm sure you knew you were depressed or at some point did and finally sought help. How important was it to you, your healthcare provider, the doctor you went to, ask about this. It may have been a questionnaire, may have been a person. I don't know, but I mean, the interaction with them, because that's a lot of what we're trying to do here at Mark Medicine is help healthcare providers and help patients understand the importance of that relationship. Everything, you know, um, I don't, I don't think he would care, but Bradley Goldberg like saved me from, you know, it's crazy to think that one human, one interaction saved your life, but it is true. And it was from that questionnaire that you ask, and it's that yearly check-in of, um, are you sad more than usual? Do you cry a lot? Do you, are you happy? And I just was honest in those questions. And I think it was maybe even the first time it was digitally, I'm not sure, but I just put like a sad face or I wrote a sad face. And so he asked the question. Well, this isn't normal. And so explain this to me. And I I think maybe I was just too embarrassed to admit I'm not happy. I'm really, really sad all the time. My children don't get to see me. I yell a lot. And I'm not someone that has ever done that before. And he said, I think you probably have postpartum depression. And I was like, no, I'm fine. And he was like, no, I'm serious. And so I needed someone to tell it to me straight that didn't judge me. Because in the South, um, depression is almost swept under the rug. And if I'm being honest, it's like this... Um, it's a, it's not a badge of honor. And so I didn't want anyone to know. I was too embarrassed to admit that. And so now that I've gotten out of it, I want the world to know that it's okay to ask for help and your children can see a, a different part of you that you forgot existed. And so now I'm just so thankful. I know I wouldn't be where I am today without medication to help me. And I also know that my children wouldn't have the mom that they have today. My husband wouldn't have the wife. And so I can't um, thank him enough. He'll forever be my doctor, my girl doctor, just because of that one moment. And I had actually just changed to him as my doctor. Um, so it was a, it was a powerful moment. And it's funny though, how my business started. It was all about the same time. It just, those worlds collided. Well, mental health is, you know, widely stigmatized. I don't know how, if there's a better way to word that there may be, but there, that's one thing we've worked to help remove also in doing this podcast, you know, it's helping people understand that it's not something to be embarrassed about. You know, it's really no different than any other medical condition, you know, chest pain, um, headache, whatever, you know, it's just as important. Your mental health is just as important as any other health issue that you may be going through. And I'm sure Mark has lots of questions, but one that I want to ask before I forget is how differently do you think your story could have been if Dr. Goldberg had not treated you with such compassion. Yeah. And you know, it's, I don't want to put people in a box and make you think that you have to feel this way in order to ask for help, but I wouldn't be here. My kids wouldn't have the mom that they have because uh, my days were dark. They were really dark. And so I know that you guys spoke to someone recently that has gone through something like that. And 
in your mind, you have that. I, I painted this picture that my children would be happier if I wasn't here. Um, and that's, that's sad to even think that down those lines, I have very high highs even now, but also very low lows. And so on those days when it would get really low, I would just assume, you know what, this would just be easier if I wasn't here. Um, and so that was when for me, I knew I needed help, but I don't want anyone listening, thinking it has to be that low, um, because you may get there and it may be too late. And that's, that's a super important point that depression affects not only the person that is bearing that weight, but the entire family. And, and that is dramatic. Uh, oftentimes the, the spouses feel alienated and rejected. Um, there's often resentment that builds up. The children feel guilt and resentment and often feel like they're to blame, which is not true. Um, there's these relationship issues tend to worsen the depression and the point you made that you felt like a burden and that people would be better off without you. I mean, how sad it's, it's not true. It's not true for you. It's not true for anybody that's experiencing this. That's why, uh, that's why I was excited about this episode today because of the, the broad outreach of help, you know, maybe we can help people hear this message, listen and seek out help. Um, did it affect the rest of your family? Yeah, for sure. Um, it affect, affected every relationship that I had. I was not a best friend to my best friend that I've had for since I was in seventh grade. We went two years without speaking, which is unheard of for us. There was a lot of guilt around those relationships. I'm a bridge burner just by nature. I, I If something happens and I burn a bridge, it's done for me. Um, and as I've grown as a person, I no longer feel that way. Like I don't, I don't put blame on people. I don't uh, expect anything from anyone. Whereas before it was, um, everyone did me wrong. They're out to get me. And um, if something happens, it's their fault. And I never want to be in a relationship with them again. So that was kind of my mentality. So I was not a great friend to my best friend. I was not a great wife to my husband. I was not a great daughter to my mom and to my dad. I was not a good sister to my brothers. It affected every relationship that I had. But in that moment, it was them right? It wasn't me. And so I just want to encourage anyone to kind of look within if you can honestly admit that it's everyone's fault and not yours. Um, but if you can just have a little bit of self-awareness to go, you know what, what have I done that made this not work out? And um, over the years, it's gotten better. I mean, it's taken, it's been a long time. That's been a decade ago. And I, it's taken a long time to kind of grow to where I am today. And I hope I continue to grow. But I realize that life is a lot easier when you expect nothing of no one and just appreciate everybody that you have in all those moments. That's that's a good point. It's and you and it touches on something that we had texted about earlier. Um, that your insight into your problem and asking for help and the help that was provided led to the success, but the success also leads to treating the depression. Life is complicated that way. It's you basically explained the grayness of life. Things are not black and white. People are not perfect. People are imperfect and situations change and meld and mold into other things. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. We are, it's weird how when I got help, how all of my, it's like my, per, my purpose and my passion started to 
kickstart again. And I started to believe I was worthy of things. And so that first month uh, when I started working, I made $50. It was like, I saw, oh wait, I am worthy of success. I can get paid my worth. There were all these different ideas that started to come into my mind. And so because I was having success in my mental health, I also had success in my business life and in my personal life. There were a lot of wins. Like my, I asked my best friend back, you know, there were all kinds of things I started to say. I was sorry for things. And it's this circle of energy. I really believe that. I don't know how, I know that you're a doctor and I know that, I don't know how you guys believe in like energy and things like that. But I do believe that once the ball of energy starts going in a positive light, it's like this thing that just kind of goes out of control. And so um, from there, it's just kind of built. Well, Mark always says, fake it till you make it. I mean, that's one thing he always says. And another thing I always say, Amanda, and hey, I'm not a psychiatrist, so y'all take this for what it's worth. But I believe that people are only happy. Humans are only happy when they're either helping other people or they're creating something or achieving something or some combination thereof. I think that's what makes humans different than other species. I think that core humanness is what makes us happy. And so that's what you're describing, in my opinion. I just recently watched the, it's a, it's a documentary on Netflix about the blue zones, which are where people live the longest all over the world. And it talks about that in particular. And it says that people that live the longest normally have something to create or something to take care of. And so most people have garden. They thought that people were eating from their gardens and maybe the nutrition from the gardens was why they live so long. But in fact, they think that it's just because they have something to take care of and a purpose of something to create. That's what I was going to say. They have a purpose. Yeah, it's it's interesting and it's it's terrible. Say somebody has an awful trauma or a terrible medical illness in the ER and I'm tied up and you look up and two hours have passed and you don't even, it's like time stood still because you're just completely devoted to trying to save this person's life. And so I think that's what we're describing here is that feeling, you know, and it's, and it's true. I mean, it's, it's very true and you're living proof of that. I'd like to kind of go back to postpartum depression in specific um, it's like I said, one out of seven women, it's very common underrecognized. It can, there is a very rare, severe form of it where people develop postpartum psychosis. Now that's extremely rare. Um, but it can occur at any time after birth days, weeks, months after the baby is born. Um, the, just so the listeners will know you experience anhedonia, which is a fancy word, meaning you don't enjoy things. Okay. You may have eating difficulty, overeating or undereating, gaining weight or losing weight. You have anxiety, you have guilt, you have this feeling of worthlessness and irritability, all the things that um, go along with regular depression. So I think the women out there need to be aware of these of these symptoms and seek help like you did. Don't wait three years. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, um, is there anything else specifically you can think of that women should be looking for? Yeah, I get frustrated um, online. I don't, I'm not someone that like argues with people on Facebook or on Instagram, but there's one thing that's like this trigger that just sends me. And um, a doctor recently posted about it. And he said, if you have postpartum depression, he had like a list of five things you should do. And it was like, eat well, exercise, drink water, and nothing said anything about medication. And I think it is a very common misconception that if you do those things, you will be cured. 
And that is not true because I eat well, I exercise, I drink the water. I did everything they could tell you and I could not help myself. And so I think that is very, very important. I think in the South, people will just try to convince you to try all different kinds of ways. And while I am very holistic in my thinking, I do believe that food can cure you and all that stuff. I feel like with mental health, it's just a different game. And there are times, not that you'll need it forever, but that some people do need medication just to help them get over that hump. Well, and it's, it's super awesome that you are willing to speak about these things. I mean, because I hope that if anyone's listening who is experiencing some of these same symptoms, I hope that maybe this will help spark within them, you know, hey, there's nothing wrong with me and there's nothing wrong with me if I decide to go and seek help. You know, in fact, it can actually be for the betterment of everyone involved. And I would also like to make our listeners aware of some of the other things that can add to postpartum distress. Um, Sorry, that is a tongue twister for me. Postpartum depression. One of those things is, you know, you've got this little newborn and it's precious little thing may not sleep well at night. And so you're not getting as much sleep as you need, which that can make the postpartum depression even worse. And then you start having the feelings of guilt, you know, because, or I've experienced some of these things through some of my births anyway, you know, like, oh my goodness, um, I want someone else to hold the baby so I can take a nap. But then it's like, oh, never mind. I should be holding the baby at all times. I don't need a nap. Why do I need a nap? You know, I'm supposed to be superwoman. I'm supposed to be super mom. So that's one thing that can make this worse is lack of sleep. And um, some other things are, you know, you do have the hormonal changes after giving birth that can make postpartum depression worse. And also, um, you know, some people have, other things going on in their life, like maybe they've got a family illness or maybe they've recently, you know, lost a loved one or their parent is sick or needing them and they're just stretched thin. You know, all these things can add to postpartum depression. And I just think it's important for us to talk about that because sometimes I feel like people may sit there and say, well, you know, these are just normal things that everybody deals with. So I should be able to deal with these things and everything. You know, I'm, I'm not enough if I can't deal with all this. I, and that's why I didn't ask for help sooner, I think, because I thought, well, I have a, I have a great husband. I have uh, the job I always wanted. I have the kids. Like, I am living the American dream. I finally am making enough money where we're not on government assistance. I thought that this was going to make me happy. You know, we always think that it's the next step. If we get there, then we'll be fine. Um, but instead, now I live my life of I'm already there. I'm already there every day. And so each little thing is just a sprinkle or, or just uh, icing on the cake. And it is, you're right, there's, there are, quote, causes, end quote, I hate to use that word, of postpartum depression, but, I mean, sometimes it just happens, okay? And But there are situations that make it more likely if there's severe financial stress, a lack of social support, uh, special needs, or a challenging baby. Uh, if you're a first-time mom or an older mom, there's, uh, if or the, if you're a younger mom, yeah, true. Any extreme, if if the mother has a history of anxiety and depression, all of these things make it more likely to happen. But again, to use the word cause is not the greatest word to use. It it just happens. There's no blame. There should be no guilt. I want people to reach out and get help. I think that's super important for people to understand. And we just cannot stress enough that your mental health is just as important as your heart health, your lung health, your stomach health, all the things. Yeah. I mean, there's very few things um, in your physical health that can make you like go off the deep end and, and think things that are crazy. Your mental health is kind of the engine behind all of that. 
it's true. And you had touched on it earlier about getting help and using medicine and it shouldn't be stigmatized. And I think people need to realize that success is possible. Greater than 80%, approaching 90% of people with depression can be helped. I'm not saying they can be cured. I'm not saying they can be perfected, if that's even the right word to use. But it is usually multimodal therapy, um, therapy sessions with a counselor or a psychiatrist, medications. There's all kinds of cutting edge stuff that's not made the mainstream yet. Ketamine infusions and some magnetic, transcranial magnetic therapy, things that I'm certainly not expert in. But um, you're you're right, and it's a very important point you make about the medication. It, if you need it, you need it, and don't be ashamed. Get help. Ask for help. And I know you have a story to tell about the medication that you'd like to tell us. Yeah, I, go ahead, Amanda. Well, I was going to say, you know, you said there's multimodal things, I think is what you said, but, I mean, it's no different, you know, if you show up with a heart attack, there's not a one- Correct. Thing you, that's going to, you know, fix it right now. You get the angioplasty and the stent. You still have to take uh, anti-cholesterol medicine and blood pressure medicine and antiplatelet. It's the exact same concept. No, and, and back to the grayness of life. Everything is, is difficult and imperfect, and we have to accept that that's the human experience. But uh, I'd love for you to tell us about the the point you wanted to make. Yeah, just going back to Dr. Goldberg and me going to see him and us always having a conversation of should I come off the medication? Because, you know, once you begin taking medication for depression, you will at some point assume you are okay. And sometimes that's a month in, sometimes that's a year in, and sometimes you are okay. And I think that's super important is that you may not need this forever. Um, I do think that family genetics plays a really big part in this. If you look down both sides of your family tree... (laughs) Like my mom and dad don't come for me when I say this, but people are crazy on both sides of the fence, then, you know, you might have crazy in you and it's okay for you to admit it. And I say crazy lightly. I mean, you may have mental illness inside of you, you know? Well, you know, there's a genetic predisposition for heart disease. And I I know I'm talking about that over and over again, but I just think it's really important for people to start recognizing mental health in the same light that they recognize cardiac issues or anything else. Yeah. And luckily my mom and dad aren't crazy, but you know, what I'm saying is, is that there is an indicator there. Oh wait, I might need this for the long haul, but I tried to come off the medication um, myself, not by doctor's advice (laughs) a few times because I thought, man, you know, I've got this all figured out. And I quickly realized, you know what, this is an enhancer to my life. This makes my life significantly better. So while my children are young, they deserve that. If once they grow up, I decide, you know, hey, I'm going to be okay. And so um, I have a four-year-old. Oh, so I'll talk about my kids. I have a 19-year-old who's my um, stepson. And then I have a 14-year-old, a 13-year-old. And I have a four-year-old and then a two-year-old. And so when I got pregnant this next time with my four-year- with a four-year-old, I was convinced I've been on this medication for a while now. You know, it's time for me to come off. I'm happy. I'm successful. I have everything I really ever dreamed of. And so I get pregnant. I told Dr. Goldberg, I said, look, I'm, it's ready for me to come off this medication. I'm pregnant. Like this is, it's time. And he said, what's the worst case scenario? And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, with you being pregnant, you come off of this, you go right back to where you were. What's the worst that could happen? And I was like, "Um, I don't know. I had suicidal thoughts. I might not be here. He's like, then that's not a good situation. And I said, okay, well, what's the worst that could happen if I stay on it? And he's like, what's the best that could happen? 
And so it was like instantly, instead of me worrying about, are all these things going to happen to my baby? Cause you know, they tell you don't even take Tylenol when you're pregnant. Um, and besides my medication, that was the only thing I took was Tylenol. Um, he was like, the worst case scenario is just not, it's not even something we're going to play out. We're just going to wonder what's the best that could happen. And that was the moment where I was like, okay, it, it was okay for me. And I took it throughout both of my pregnancies, which some people would say is an absolute no. And I have perfectly beautiful babies. Um, but just ask yourself that as you're, if you're ever contemplating it is what's the best that could happen. It's a risk benefit situation that you should have this conversation with your healthcare provider. And that's what I talk about so often is it, being a physician or a nurse practitioner or a healthcare provider is it's such an interplay between one person and one provider and doing the best thing for that person with all of the information at hand as relates to that person, which is a unique individual among 8 billion people. And that situation does not exist amongst any of the other 8 billion people. That person is, is their own person. And so it, you do have to weigh the risk and the benefits and everything. Clearly the correct decision was made, you know, between you and your doctor. And I applaud that. And that's the importance of that relationship. And it cannot be overstated. I, I keep making that point over and over. The importance of these healthcare provider relationships cannot be overstated. You are literally playing with people's lives. And that's, it's, uh, it's a wonderful and terrifying burden at the same time. Well, and like you say, you know, hey, people may judge me for taking the medicine. You know, that's kind of like breastfeeding. You know, I breastfed. I was very lucky that I was able to breastfeed. Everyone can't breastfeed. And some, you know, you see on social media, you know, oh, you can't, you're not breastfeeding. How dare you not breastfeed? You know, well, um, fed is best. That's what matters. Mm -hmm. And that's the same concept, you know, with you, you know, um, alive and well and healthy mama, healthy baby. That's what matters. And, you know, there's. There's several things that help predict a successful outcome for uh, from depression treatment. Number one, you need a trusted friend. It's amazing how much importance a single trusted friend um, uh, is. Uh, that friend can help you. It's your sounding board. Uh, it it actually quadruples the rate of recovery if you have a if you have a trusted friend to talk to. Um, exercise and movement does help. Uh, spirituality helps. Uh, having a support system uh, helps a good family and friends and financial means and things like that. Oddly, the length that the depression has gone on does not impact the success rate of recovery. You could have been depressed for years or just for a month or two. The same success rate applies if the therapies are, are undertaken. Uh, I, I found that to be very interesting in my reading. And I know you had suffered for three years. That's actually quite a long time, particularly you were quite young. Yeah, I was. I was 22 when I had my first child and then 23 when I had my second one. And he mentioned you probably were depressed, um, but when I'm pregnant, I'm the happiest. And so I probably was. I had a very difficult, hard first baby um, who is amazing now, but colicky, all the things. I'm young. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Financial stress. Yeah. All the things that could go wrong went wrong with the first one. And so then I got. I found out when he was eight weeks old that I was pregnant again which um, was an equally depressing time. It was really, really hard. But you just listed off all the things that make postpartum depression a little bit worse. You yep. just listed off all the And then add another baby onto mm -hmm. all of it. Mm -hmm. um, but I wanted to prove everyone wrong. I'm going to the girl that's going to graduate from college. I'm going to make something of myself. Um, and so when I didn't, it didn't all fall into place like it was supposed to. I fought as long as I could fight. It was getting dangerous after that. And there are several 
causes or risk factors for depression, such as, and you've mentioned a lot of these, stressful events like divorce, death in a family member, job loss. Um, some people just intrinsically have a more melancholy personality. Um, there's a family history of depression. There's pregnancy and postpartum is one of the risk factors. Um, uh, postmenopausal and aging is a risk factor for depression. Loneliness and social isolation is a big risk factor. Alcohol and drug abuse, of course, and, and physical illness can lead to depression. So there's a lot of things that, that can make someone more likely to become depressed, but not that it's necessarily causative. And sometimes it just happens, you know, and, and I, I know Amanda has always been big on this. Amanda wants to remove the stigma around mental illness and, or mental health issues and treatments and seeking health. That really bothers her as it should bother all people. And she's always been a big advocate for talking about that stigma and trying to eliminate that stigma and get people to have insight and seek the help that they need, which is a laudable goal. I mean, that's why we're doing what we're doing. And, and she's really talked about that a lot. Well, and, you know, to add to that, if I may ask, Casey, you know, coming from your perspective, I know you had an excellent um, experience with Dr. Goldberg, thank God. Um, can you give any advice to healthcare providers on how they should maybe treat someone who is their patient that may be experiencing some of the things that you were experiencing? Just coming from your perspective, not really being in healthcare, you know, can you help us teach healthcare providers? This is how, you know, people need to be treated in order to get the help that they deserve. Mm -hmm. I think Dr. Goldberg said it best one time. He said he treats everybody like he would give the advice what he would give to his own wife. And so that's like, wow, yeah, that's powerful is that every woman that comes into it, he's going to tell them exactly the advice that he would give to someone that he cared about too. And so when you remember, you know, Mark and I were chatting about be a good human as a doctor, as anyone, our favorite, our core value here at CEO teacher is be a good human, be good to all people. And so I know that seems like a no nonsense kind of thing, but it, it makes so much sense is that you just, even if you're having a bad day, someone's life is in your hands and you never know how close they are to letting go. Um, and I think sometimes that maybe it gets brushed under the rug and they may say, oh, well, you know, she has this, this, and this going for her already. So whatever she says, it can't be that bad. And, um, I'm thankful that I wasn't looked at as just that stereotype. You know, if Dr. Goldberg would have said to you, oh, Casey, you know, you've got so much going for you, you're going to be okay. You know, how differently do you think things could have gone. It, it, it was a totally different conversation. Yeah. And that's why I said, that, you know, I don't think he even knew how close I was to letting go in that moment or how much the fact that I even said I was unhappy or I was sad or I cried more than usual was a huge step for me. And I was praying that he didn't look at that. You know, I was praying that he didn't even, it was just, it was an outlet for me to be able to say it, but we didn't have to talk about it. You know, well, you're to be commended for saying it and thank God that Dr. Goldberg did look at it and that he did, that he was brave enough and professional enough to ask you about it and talk to you about it. He's a smart guy. <laughs> yes. he, uh, and it's very uplifting for me to hear that story because kind of our core philosophy is treat every patient as if they're a member of your own family. And it's great to hear that other people are doing that. And look, most of the doctors, nurse practitioners, PAs that I know, they all do that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, and, but and I I be, 
I've even said before, you know, we're not here to say that your doctor and your nurse practitioner doesn't treat you that way. You know, we're just here to embrace that idea and just help remind people and remind, you know, patients and healthcare professionals alike that that's what, that's the whole goal here. You know, if you start with that, then everything else will fall into place. I guess I should say almost all. The only acceptable outcome is for 100% of healthcare providers to believe and do that 100% of the time. And I I really believe that. It's a good motto to have, especially as a doctor. <laughs> well, wow, what a story of trial, tribulation, and ultimate triumph. It's it's fantastic to hear. But please tell us how people can find you, how they can reach you, what you do. Uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, well, since that day back in October of 2013, my life has gotten dramatically better and different. And I started selling my lesson plans. And then eventually I left the classroom in 2018 uh, to do that full time. I was making a good living and I that was my only hope and my only dream. But I got stopped in Walmart a lot here in Douglas. And people said, Casey, how did you do it? How'd you leave the classroom? Like you're just selling your lesson and plans online. And I was like, yeah, that's a real thing. Like, it's a real job. And so they said, well, show me how you do it. And so I started helping people little by little. And I created an online course back in 2018. And uh, in seven days, my life changed dramatically. Um, and I got, I've been helping thousands of teachers now. I own a membership called The CEO Teacher. And we teach teachers and we teach hometown people. We're kind of branching out and helping more people just kind of how to get started in the online space. It's so much more than I sell my lesson plans online. Now teachers can choose one of 10 success paths. That's just one of the ways we teach teachers how to make money online. And um, it's been a beautiful journey. But yeah, you can find me at CaseyMorris.com. You can go check out me on Instagram or on Facebook. I go live on Facebook every Thursday. And it's crazy how this world's just kind of been turned upside down, but in the most beautiful way. Well, and if I may use one of Mark's famous lines, you know, the single beat of a butterfly's wing. Um, Because you were brave enough to reach out to Dr. Goldberg and because of his caring and compassion and because of all the success that you've had, you know, I've watched you, I've followed you and we have learned from you. You know, I mean, I've I've reached out to you to say, Hey, Mark has all this knowledge. What do we do with it? How do, where do we go? And you're very generous and you have helped, you have helped us more than I'll ever be able to put into words. And it's kind of like we were talking about with our previous guests, you know, whenever I said, I told her, I said, I truly believe that you will save lives that you don't even really realize that you are saving because they may never come back and say like, Hey, you know, because of your story, um, I, I made a change or whatever. And I believe the same is true for you, you know, because you're telling this story and because you are where you are today and because of your willingness to help others, um, you may not know all the lives that you changed and all the lives that you impact, but you have impacted ours for sure. And I know that there are others that you have impacted and that you will impact, even if you never know about it. Thank you. That means so much to me. Actually, I have a tattoo of a butterfly on the back of my arm. So oh, cool. I love that symbolism so yeah. much. Yes, it's it's like throwing a rock into the ocean. The ripples go on and on. Well, thank you all for having me. I've had a great time. Well, thank you for joining us. Well, Mark, Casey was a fantastic guest. I'm truly honored that she chose to spend this time with us today. I'm honored that she shared her story of postpartum depression with us and her personal story of how she overcame that. I know it's super important for her to get the message out to listeners that postpartum depression affects many of us. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with you if you experience postpartum depression, seeking help is very brave and 
the right thing to do. And I'm honored that she chose us to help get her message out that she really wants to remove the stigma that's associated with that. Yes, it's very important because it's really common. Somewhere between 6 and 20% of women that are new mothers have postpartum depression, and half of those go undiagnosed. That's why her story is so important, and her uh, willingness to reach out to others is so important. It's, it's something that maternal brain response and maternal behavior are compromised in postpartum depression. There's a lot of risk factors. We don't understand a lot about it. The adolescent mothers, any extreme of age in the mom, urban moms, um, mothers with premature babies or particularly fussy babies are all at great risk. And her her ability to share her message and reach out to other new mothers is so, so important. It is. And pregnancy and childbirth is something that can be very difficult, very exhausting. As women, you know, we go through a lot of hormonal changes, a lot of physical, emotional, psychological changes throughout our pregnancy, throughout childbirth, immediately after giving birth. We experience emotions that can range from happiness and joy to crying and being sad rather rapidly. Um, These feelings can actually be normal and to be expected. I think it's super important for anyone listening to, you know, know that and be aware of that, that immediately after having your baby, you may be tired, you may be exhausted, that's normal, you're going through a lot, it's a process. And you may have mood changes and mood swings. And, you know, that's okay. That's some of that's to be expected. You know, there's the baby blues, and there's postpartum depression. So will you help kind of recap for our listeners? kind of the difference between the baby blues and postpartum depression? Yes, the baby blues, as it's commonly called, is expected and normal. It's as long as it doesn't go on for more than about two weeks. It usually starts just two, three, four days after delivery and resolves by 10 to 14 days post-delivery. So that is the baby blues. Now, true postpartum depression starts before six weeks by definition, but may go on for months to years. And it's distinctly different than just the baby blues. And it also is not to be confused with postpartum psychosis, which is a different condition also. Um, We don't really know what causes postpartum depression. The pathophysiology is rather unknown. It's probably multifactorial. There's likely genetic causes, hormonal causes, social stressors, um, psychological factors, There's probably some interaction between the immune response and the endocrine response and the lactogenic hormones, such as low levels of prolactin. It's it's an area of a lot of study, and and it's kind of really unknown exactly how it all culminates and comes together to cause postpartum depression in a given new mom. It's uh, it's just, but it is distinctly different than the baby blues, which you were describing earlier, which is just a few days after delivery. That's right. Postpartum depression can just severely impact our ability as a new mom to function or to return to normal function. It can impact our ability to care for our baby. I know you probably touched on that already. Um, I think for our listeners, what I know this is, we've kind of morphed this into our phone a friend segment. You know, we did have a few questions submitted about postpartum depression specifically. Listeners wanted to know the difference between the baby blues and postpartum depression. I think you just clarified that um, quite clearly. But what I'd kind of like to go into now is 
I think it's important for women to know and for healthcare providers to know, you know, these are the things that we need to talk about during your visit as it relates to a history and physical. So I want to help, I want to start helping our listeners, you know, learn ways to be prepared for your doctor's visit and learn ways to advocate for your own health and I'd like to, you know, use this as an opportunity to say, hey, let's teach you some things that you need to kind of have collated in your mind regarding your personal history when you show up to your doctor's appointment, especially as it relates to dealing with postpartum depression. Well, at your obstetrical appointment, they should have a a number of screening tools are available, questionnaires, et cetera, that can help clue the providers into an about-to-be new mom or a new mom being at risk for postpartum depression. Some of the symptoms would be, you know, just in general, a depressed mood, uh, what we call anhedonia, a complete lack of interest in things that you normally find pleasurable. You can have sleep problems, either difficulty sleeping or too much sleeping. You can have agitation, what we call psychomotor agitation. Somebody's just anxiety-ridden and fidgety versus, you know, fatigue and the blahs and low energy. And I know people listening are saying, well, well, gosh, a lot of people are fatigued because I'm up all the time taking care of a new baby. And it it can be difficult. You know, it requires a lot of detailed questioning and interaction with the patient oftentimes. The moms can feel guilty and worthless. Um, They can have difficulty concentrating and thinking. They can have changes in weight, uh, gaining weight or losing weight rapidly. Um, and of course, most importantly, there can be suicidality or homicidality, you know, wanting to harm the baby or harm themselves. And, you know, by that point, you're obviously in a very severe state. And of course, all of these symptoms uh, that can clue the providers into postpartum depression would exclude, you know, other causative Things such as mania in a bipolar patient, uh, substance abuse, be it alcohol or drugs, um, overt psychosis in a patient with a psychotic disorder. So again, overlap and difficulty sometimes in in deciding what is primarily going on or not going on. But back to the patient, there will be screening tools and questionnaires and people talking to you. Well, there should be right before delivery and after delivery and at your obstetrical visits. Well, and things that I think is important for patients to keep in mind, and this is when you're dealing with any type of healthcare condition, is, you know, just kind of have it in your mind. When did my symptoms start this time? Um, You know, how long have they been going on for? And does anything make the symptoms worse? Does anything make the symptoms better? So if you can have those things in mind when you go to your doctor visit, then you can really help your healthcare provider narrow in on how long you've been experiencing this condition so that they can make an adequate determination between baby blues and postpartum depression. Yes, and severity. You know, qualify your historical statements to the provider as they ask questions and as you interact with them, of course. Right. So now, if we can, can we talk just a little bit about the treatment and the management of postpartum depression, even if you don't go specifically into detail, or you may go specifically into detail, but I know that it's very important to Casey for listeners to be made aware that a decision for a patient to be treated for postpartum depression with medication is definitely something that is to be decided between that patient and that patient's healthcare provider. And it's a risk-benefit 
situation. And so however you want to handle that, but let's just talk a little bit about the treatment and management of postpartum depression. Well, yes, it will oftentimes involve drug therapy, you know, antidepressants. It will also involve therapy with, you know, counselors, psychiatrists, psychologists, um, whomever, and it may even involve family counseling. So, and, and it's usually a, a multi-pronged approach and it's absolutely okay to take medicine if the risk of the medicine is less than the risk of not taking the medicine. And this is a decision that experienced providers like your obstetrician, your primary care provider are going to make with you in your specific circumstances regarding your specific problem and, and your specific needs to address that problem. And along with that treatment, they will also be working through a differential diagnosis of mimics. You know, you always have to consider, am I just confusing the baby blues, which is going to be self-limited with true postpartum depression? You know, time is going to help define that in severity. It, and and that will evolve and, and become apparent. Right. Because as healthcare providers, we don't ever want to just look at somebody and say, oh, you're depressed, you're having anxiety. Right. And you know, you always have to worry about thyroid disorders, either underactive or overactive thyroid. You have to worry about concomitant or or um, depression that's that's actually just substance abuse, either alcohol or drug abuse or both. And really, that's the main issue and not the depression. Or maybe they're self-medicating, you know, so there can be, you know, overlap syndromes. There's also psychotic disorders that can that are intrinsic and, you know, schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder that may not have been noticed before now because that's the age that, that these diseases start cropping up is at a young age, te- late teenage years and on into the 20s. And, you know, there's also underlying uh, affective disorders, bipolar, and there may not have been any mania before this. There may have just been depression or a melancholy state, then somebody gets manic or or even gets severely depressed. So your healthcare providers will not only be working with you to treat your postpartum depression, but also to rule out other conditions also. Right. And I think that bringing these symptoms, you know, up in conversation when you're at your doctor's appointments are extremely important. And There are times where women actually start experiencing depression even while they're pregnant, and I think it's super important for women listening, you know, please know, please listen, please hear me. If you are having symptoms of depression, any of the things that we've talked about, bring it up, and the reason being is because of the prognosis of, you know, the impact that postpartum depression can have on not only the mother but the baby. Can you expound upon that just a little bit? Yes, it affects the the baby greatly because, it, of course, there's the the ultimate effect. You can have the mom trying to actually harm the baby or herself, which is catastrophic, or you can have just this failure of bonding between the mother and infant that leads to poor cognitive develop development and and poor social interactions later in life and delay and. It, it has a broad-reaching, lifelong effect on the infant and the rest of the family even. It can destabilize the entire family. So, yes, it's absolutely important prognostically. Right. So this is what we mean by oftentimes the benefits outweigh the risk because if, you know, you tell me that, hey, you can take medication for your depression and potentially, you know, Alter the course of your baby's life. Exactly. Versus the alternative, which is not, what we just talked about. Oftentimes Correct. not yeah. very good. Exactly. And, you know, I think as healthcare providers, it's just super important for us to remember that, um, 
you know, you can actually begin to recognize women who are at risk for postpartum depression even prior to delivery. You know, that you can be questioning these women about, you know, how they're feeling. You can be educating them on the signs of depression, the signs of postpartum depression. You can be telling them, you know, let's all let's all help remove the stigma. Let's remove the barriers for women. You know, again, I know I've said this before, but if a barrier for you, you know, I don't want to seek help because I'm worried about what someone may think of me. Let's try to remove that. Let's not worry about that anymore. Let's worry about yourself, the health of you, the health of your baby, the health of your entire family. And so as healthcare providers, let's try to recognize these symptoms even before the baby is born in the prenatal period. And can you talk about some things that they can be looking for? Well, I think one thing to touch on there is the importance and the bravery of Casey coming on to to let this message out because look at the people she can reach. She has a big audience. She she may impact people's lives without even knowing it. And exactly like you said, they may approach their healthcare provider even before the healthcare provider approaches them. And um, I think that's critical here. And I hope that, and I, and I do believe they have fairly well built in algorithms now at these office visits to screen for these things and to discuss it. Um, I'm certainly not an obstetrician and I don't function in that environment, but that's my understanding from the reading I've done. And so I think it is being more broadly talked about and approached and and looked for. And I hope that people take it seriously and important and, and think it's important because it is, because look at her story. Three years. Wow. I mean. Absolutely. And, you know, there are some other things that I think women should know that, you know, if you there are childbirth classes. If you can find a childbirth class, if you can go to a childbirth class, you can actually learn a lot through those classes. You can learn the symptoms. You can learn coping mechanisms. You can learn some of the things that help prevent postpartum depression because the, you know, actually the best indicator of a positive outcome is prevention. Correct. That's really the overall goal here. Let's help prevent postpartum depression before it ever begins. And if you can't really prevent it, you can at least address it early. And any disease is better treated early than it is treated late. Right, exactly. So as healthcare providers, you know, we're in primary positions to identify women who are at risk for postpartum depression and mood disorders prior to pregnancy even. But once they're pregnant, certainly prior to delivery, And then, you know, these are things that nurses would be paying attention to and doctors, you know, paying attention to during the hospitalization of the mom. And then, like we've said before, at the follow-up appointment. Yes, it's a very important topic. I'm really glad that Casey brought it to everyone's attention by telling her story. I want everyone listening, if they're having potential problems with postpartum depression or if they have family members or friends with postpartum depression, to please reach out to them please reach out to their healthcare providers and get the ball rolling on treatment. That's right. You're not alone. You're not wrong for the feelings that you're having. And you can only be benefited by reaching out and asking for help with any any of these feelings that you may be experiencing. Um, but just to wrap it up, you guys, you can find us at markedmedicine.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-D medicine.com. You can go to our website. You can click on the Ask Dr. Mark tab. There you can submit questions. If you have a question you'd like to ask us that you'd like to hear Mark answer at the end of 
one of our episodes, you can do that there. Also, if you have a story that you'd like to tell, if you have a platform that you're super passionate about, we want to hear from you. We want to learn from you. We feel like there's something here at Mark Medicine for everyone. Um, Thank you all so much for listening, and we hope that you join us next week. Same time, same place.